Hello there, my name is Danny Yeoman, world bird expert for Pets Corner and developer of Peter and Paul Bird Foods. Welcome to the next of a number of podcasts detailing some of the amazing birds that we see and feed in our gardens. Every week we're looking at different bird and this week we'll be looking at the notorious cuckoo. They're nature's hustlers, cheats that have perfected the ultimate long con. But even though they are born with an instinctive need to murder, our spirits are raised when we hear their cry. In fact, their song is one of the few bird calls that just about anyone can identify, whether you're a bird or not. For some, the story of the cuckoo's treachery is well known, but if you're unaware, it was Pliny the Elder in the 1st century AD who first recorded something odd about the cuckoo. He noticed that the cuckoo doesn't look after its own young. Instead, it lays its eggs in other birds' nests, allowing them to raise its chicks and repaying them by wiping out their own brood. Since Pliny's time, the cuckoo has always been viewed as something of a rogue, or worse. Down the centuries, people have been genuinely horrified by its lifestyle, and it's fair to say that even today, the cuckoo has at best a questionable reputation. But the question that has puzzled scientists is, why do these host birds spend their spring tearing around to feed the gargantuan interloper that is spilling out of its nest? And why bother with the deceit in the first place? Why doesn't the cuckoo just rear its own young, instead of abdicating responsibility to its poor victims? Well, although it isn't nice for the unlucky host, generally a dunnock, meadow pipit or reed warbler, the point of the cuckoo strategy is that it works. There are a number of birds all over the world who go for the trick of parasitising other birds' nests. But the cuckoo is the only one that does it in this country. So is the cuckoo cruel or an evil bird? Of course not. It's just nature at work, and perhaps one of the best examples of Darwin's survival of the fittest. They are locked in an arms race with the birds that the nest it parasitised, with both sides evolving to protect themselves or deceive the other. It makes cuckoos a fascinating bird, and after all, everyone loves a rogue. Cuckoos are a handsome bird. Dark blue-grey on the top and the chest, with a sharp break to a paler belly. You see them sometimes perch when they will often drop their wings and flick their tails sideways, showing off large white spots. Males and females look alike, however the female also exists a rare rufous form, so instead of being grey, it's a red-brown. In flight, a cuckoo can often be confused with a sparrowhawk, with its long pointed wings and grey flecked underparts. It is thought that this mimicry may have been deliberate ruse to frighten a smaller bird off its nest, enabling the female to lay her own egg there. The name cuckoo is onomatopoeic, which means it's taken from the bird's call. For thousands of years, the loud ringing cuckoo call of the cuckoo has heralded the arrival of the spring. This wandering voice is a source of many myths, 
To hear your first cuckoo before breakfast was just unlucky, but if you were still in bed, it was a sure sign of impending illness. I think they're all incentives to rise early. However, good fortune would come if you heard one while out walking. And a child born on the day of the first cuckoo song in spring will be lucky all its life. As I've already mentioned, the cuckoo is a bird that practices brood parasitism. A remarkable adaptation that removes the need to raise and feed its own young. The females lay their eggs in the nest of smaller host birds, and it's generally a dunnock, meadow pipit or reed warbler, which will have to rear the monstrous intruder, which will then murder its nestmates. It's a crime that's captivated nature lovers for centuries. In the 18th century, Edward Jenner first recorded a newly hatched cuckoo's murderous rampage. Puzzled by the migratory cuckoo's parasitical existence, he suggested that the adult bird simply didn't have the time to raise their young, needed to nip off back to Africa as soon as possible. Around the same time, the famed naturalist Gilbert White guessed that the cuckoo's substantial stomach meant that it couldn't incubate its eggs. To White, the desertion of the eggs was a monstrous outrage on maternal affection. But it was Charles Darwin who cut to the chase in his 1959's On the Origin of Species. He identified the immense benefit of being a brood parasite. Freed from its parental duties, the cuckoo was able to lay many more eggs than its victims. However, Darwin's observations prompts one question. If the cuckoo's method is so effective, why aren't more birds at it? Of all the British birds, only the cuckoo goes to such extraordinary lengths, and worldwide only around 1% of all birds share its method. Lazy, you might think. Foistering your parental duties on somebody else may seem to be a wonderful thing to do, but actually the poor cuckoo has to work incredibly hard to be lazy. For starters, if you think you're a good bird watcher, you're nothing on a female cuckoo. Perching motionless on a tree, she will lay in wait, monitoring the nests of her potential victim. When the host is away feeding, the cuckoo strikes silently swooping into the empty nest and gobbling down one of the host eggs so that her own, which is speedily laid, is offered better incubation. Her job done, she zooms off, never to see her offspring again. The entire operation only takes 10 seconds. But why does she have to be so quick? Experiments have shown that when cuckoos are near a nest of an intended victim, the nest owners will attack the cuckoo and are more likely to check their clutch, rejecting eggs that they didn't believe were theirs. But if they are unaware, they will incubate the interloper in blissful ignorance. Recent research also has shown that if the cuckoo is discovered and mobbed by its victims, the resulting halabaloo is more likely to bring the nest to the attention of a predator, thereby putting the cuckoo's precious eggs in jeopardy. 
to ensure that they can trick the host. The cuckoo has evolved to produce eggs that perfectly mimic the host's own. They specialise in one species and pass the ability down to their young. While this mimicry is fascinating, the real jaw-dropping moment comes when the chick is born. The cuckoo's eggs has a head start, requiring half a day less incubation than the host's clutch, possibly due to the fact that the newly laid cuckoo's eggs contain partially developed embryos. The chick's homicidal tendencies are just as developed, and with hours of hatching, the blind and naked infant pushes any remaining eggs from the nest. If any other chicks have had the misfortune to have already hatched, they are also barged out to fall to their deaths. Alone in the nest, the cuckoo now has the sole attention of his foster parents, who will dart around to feed it, leaving them no time to breed again for the entire season. But even if the host has been hoodwinked into incubating a perfectly matched egg, surely they'll notice the baby is twice their size. Well, no, because while the mother cuckoo uses visual trickery, the baby uses oral trickery. The cuckoo chick has this amazing begging call and sounds like a whole brood of hungry chicks. As the chick gets older, the intensity of its begging cry increases to make the host work harder. Victims of what Darwin called mistaken instinct. The host is hardwired to feed its hungry young, and so the con works. After 19 days, the cuckoo is literally bursting from the nest, and will be supported by the poor foster parents for a further two weeks before abandoning them to head back to Africa. Cuckoos eat caterpillars. Actually, they're somewhat of a caterpillar specialist, as they will eat the caterpillars other birds won't touch, including the hairy ones, and the ones that carry garish colours to warn would-be predators of their unpalatability. The caterpillars absorb toxins from the plants they eat, becoming toxic themselves. Most birds have to learn to avoid these critters, but not the cuckoo. They don't let something as trifling as deadly poison keep them from a tasty meal. They simply bite the caterpillar's head off and then shake the body to expel the toxins before swallowing it down. Also, those caterpillars that are covered with barbed heads, well, that's no problem for the cuckoo either. They periodically shed their stomach lining, embedded barbed hairs and all, and regurgitate it as a pellet. For most people, the cuckoo is not a garden bird, but if you live in a rural area, you might see them fly over or be able to listen out to their distinctive call. And while we won't get them visiting your bird feeders, you can do your bit to help them. Although the cuckoo isn't strictly a garden species, the Dunnock and Robin, two of the species parasitised by cuckoos, do frequent gardens, and by feeding Peter and Paul in full song, you'll be ensuring that robins and dunnocks have everything they need to remain fit and healthy. And by doing so, you're indirectly helping the cuckoo. Also, you can do your bit by helping protect the caterpillars cuckoos eat, by ensuring the autumn's hibernating butterflies, moths, caterpillars and chrysalises don't end up on the compost heap. If you are a gardener, during the autumn, you might be thinking of tidying your garden. 
composting spent perennials and making leaf mulch. Remember the caterpillars overwinter in leaf piles and plant debris. So if you can save these jobs for spring, you'll probably help to increase numbers of these insects in your garden. There'll be more of them about to breed next spring and summer, theoretically at least, more food for the predators, including cuckoos. Cuckoos are therefore examples of how our gardens are part of a wider ecosystem. What we do within the confines of our gardens may impact on species that don't even use that space. If we made better garden habitats for caterpillars, robins and dunnocks, we could be helping the cuckoo. Cuckoos undertake vast migrations, wintering in Central Africa before travelling thousands of miles to Europe and Africa. Having spent the spring and summer months breeding and parasitising nests, they then leave for Africa around the end of September. Satellite tracking has shown various routes of crossing the deserts of North Africa, an inhospitable wilderness which UK migrant common cuckoos endure every year. The number of cuckoos in the UK has fallen by 65% over the last 30 years. It's one of the UK's fastest declining migrants and is now rad listed. But no one really knows why. But the British Trust for Ornithology, the BTO, research suggests it could be related to the changes in nesting behaviours of its hosts, plus a decline of available food, caterpillars. Cuckoos usually lay their eggs in the nests of dunnocks, meadow pipits, pied wagtails and reed warblers. Of these four species, only the meadow pipit is declining, but the other three are nesting up to six days earlier than they were previously, and this could be affecting cuckoos' success rates in usurping other nests. Whether you live in the town or country, you can help look after garden birds by providing a wildlife friendly garden that includes water and having the very, very best foods available for them. Foods like Peter and Paul. For more information regarding Peter and Paul wild bird foods, please check out the Peter and Paul website at www.peter-and-paul.com or pop into one of their wonderful Pets Corner stores and the nearest store to you can be found at the Pets Corner website at www.petscorner.co.uk well, That's it from me. I hope you've enjoyed this look at cuckoos. For further birds, please continue to check out the stream and I look forward to speaking to you soon.